Mark 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, after it has come with power. Good morning and welcome again. We're very grateful for your presence. We have a great number assembled here today for worship, and for that we are grateful. It may be that you are looking for a church home. We do invite you to consider the work here. I know that we would love to have you come and join hands with us as we do our best to present New Testament Christianity to this community. We're very grateful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week, and the elders here from time to time have met with those who are looking for, church, for a church home, answered questions, and talked about the work, and from that, a number of people have placed membership. It may be the case that you would like to meet with our elders, and we would encourage you to do that. We're going to be looking today at Mark 9, verse 1, as we think about the kingdom that Jesus built. Just a moment ago, we sang a song that reminds us of the blessings of the kingdom of God. And I really believe that one of the greatest blessings that you and I have is to be a member of the kingdom, to be a member of the church that we read about in the New Testament. There are so many blessings and advantages that we can enjoy by being members of the family of God. To know that we belong to the body, the church, the kingdom, that God, in his wisdom, decreed should come and be established here upon this earth. What a blessing. And so we want to look at Mark 9, 1, and there are really three things that I want us to consider in our study today. First of all, we want to talk about the establishment of the kingdom. And really when we talk about the establishment of the kingdom of God, we are stressing the founding of the church. And that is the church that we read about in the New Testament. There are several things that maybe we ought to consider in connection with the establishment of the church. First and foremost, I think about a very specific prophecy that was given hundreds of years before the establishment of the church. And it was given by a man named Daniel. Daniel, one of the great prophets of God. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel had the opportunity to stand before the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And he interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And in the interpretation of that dream, he told King Nebuchadnezzar about a kingdom that God would establish. And he said, that kingdom is going to stand forever. But in verses 34 and 35, first of all, he talks about a stone that was cut without hands. And then in verse 35, he said that that stone cut without hands would literally become an exalted mountain, a great mountain that would fill all the earth. And so in verse 44, he said, in the days of these kings, and that would be in the days of the Roman kings, the God of heaven, he said, is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. That kingdom, of course, prophesied by Daniel, was prophesied literally hundreds of years before it became a reality here on planet earth. And so you think about that very specific prophecy given by the prophet Daniel. And then you pick up in the New Testament and you read about individuals who preached the coming of the kingdom. Let me give you two examples. First, I think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Christ. He was the one that would prepare the hearts and minds of people to receive the coming Messiah, that is to be receptive to the Son of God. And Matthew tells us in chapter 3, verse 
verses one and two, that John the Baptist preached repentance. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In chapter four, verse 17, Jesus Christ, the son of God, began his earthly ministry by heralding the same message. For he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we have the prophecies that relate to the coming of the kingdom of God. And there were other prophecies given by other men, not just Daniel. But then the preaching of the coming of the kingdom. And then finally, the promise to build the kingdom. Now this has to do with Jesus. Of course, John the Baptist said that the kingdom was at hand. Jesus himself said the kingdom is at hand. In Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. On that occasion, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some, Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then responded by saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then in verse 19 he said, and I will also give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here we have Jesus talking about the church and the kingdom of heaven. These are synonymous terms. They point to one and the same institution. Now with regard to the establishment of the church, the promise to build the church, the passage we looked at just a moment ago in Mark 9 verse one, where Jesus told some of those who were assembled on a particular occasion, there are some of you that stand here that shall not taste death until the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus here, prophetically speaking, of the kingdom that he had promised to build. And so following his death, burial, and resurrection and prior to his ascension to heaven, he instructed the apostles to tarry in the city of Jerusalem, he said, until you be endued with power from on high. That's found in Luke 24, verse 49. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he ascended to heaven to be seated at the Father's right hand, he told the apostles, he said, that they would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost part of the age. In Acts chapter two, we find the apostles being endowed with power from the Holy Spirit. In other words, they received a miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. We have the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit and really the beginning of the church the beginning of the church as we know it. Everything that leads up to Acts chapter two is pointing to the coming of the church, the establishment of the kingdom of God. Following the recording of Acts chapter two and forward, the church has now come into existence. And so we need to keep that in mind as we think about the kingdom of God. Two other things I would point out. Jesus is the founder of the kingdom. In Colossians chapter one, verse 18, Paul said he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word beginning means active agent, origin. And really what Paul is saying is that Jesus was the agent by which the church 
came into being. In other words, he was the founder. He was the one that built the church, just as he said in Matthew 16, verse 18. Not only is he the founder of the kingdom, but he's the foundation of the church of the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul would say, other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so Christ is the one who founded the church and he is also the foundation of the church. Now there's a second thing we need to see in connection with the kingdom and that is the entrance into the kingdom. In other words, how do we get into the kingdom of God? How do we become a part of the family of God? I would suggest that forgiveness resides in Christ and not just in Christ but in the church that Christ built. Now as we think about entrance into the kingdom of God. If you go back and you look at the history of Israel, you'll find that the Jewish race, the Jewish nation, babies were literally born into the Jewish family. Well, today we are born into the kingdom of God. How are we born into the kingdom of God? Well, in John chapter three, we have Jesus setting forth the prerequisites to entering the kingdom. Now in that context, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you're doing unless God is with him. Here's what Jesus said to Nicodemus, this great ruler among the Jewish people. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked this question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus then said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He went on to say that that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then he said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Why do we need to be born again? Because that's what puts us into the kingdom. In other words, that's what puts us into the body of Christ. Let me illustrate it like this. Look at Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, as I said a moment ago, we have the foundation really for the beginning of the church as set forth by Luke, the inspired historian. And Luke sets forth the beginning of the church as we know it as revealed in the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter and the other apostles preached the first gospel sermon ever heard, well, the Bible tells us that those present, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why did they cry out? Well, because Luke tells us they were pricked or cut to the heart. They had been indicted because they had been in sin because they had helped crucify the Son of God. And so Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now verse 41 says some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel and then verse 47 says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So what do we deduce from that? Well, those who were baptized into Christ, they became members of the body of Christ. They were numbered among the saved. In other words, they became members of the kingdom of God. Now I would suggest that the prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God is the new birth. And there is also pardon in the kingdom and that really ties into the new birth. When we're baptized into Christ, we then contact the blood of Christ. 
Now, sometimes people ask the question, what is it that saves us from sin? What is it that, what is it that makes me a child of God? Well, we have to first of all believe that Jesus is the son of God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. We have to be willing to repent like they did on Pentecost day in Acts chapter two at verse 38. Then we have to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. And that's simply that Jesus is the son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter eight, verse 37. The Bible then says we're baptized into Jesus Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we are then translated out of the power of darkness. We are delivered out of the power of darkness. And Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 13, we are translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Now it's in that sphere that Paul said in verse 14 that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So where is salvation? Well, it's in Christ. All of us believe that salvation is in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verse six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter two at verse 10 that salvation is in Christ. So how do we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. In other words, we're born again. When we're born again, what happens? Well, we are added to the body of Christ. We enjoy forgiveness. What a beautiful concept to know that we can be saved, redeemed, members of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes people have the idea that we can be saved in Christ and not have any kind of relationship with the church. Well, here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 23. The Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the body. Well, somebody might ask the question, what's the body? In Ephesians chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul said he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is equal to the kingdom of Christ. All of those terms are used in a synonymous way in the New Testament. So we talk about the establishment of the kingdom, the entrance into the kingdom of God, but then there are some earmarks of the kingdom. And this has to do with some of the, the viable features of the church. And by this, I simply mean, how can we know that the kingdom of God exists? What, what does the Bible say about the kingdom? We live in a day and time when many people have difficulty identifying the church that we read about in the New Testament. Let me just cite for you some features of the kingdom of God or the church. First of all, I would suggest that the kingdom or the church was built by Jesus. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. In verse 18, Jesus said, I also say unto you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. The church or the kingdom belongs to whom? Belongs to Jesus. It belongs only to Jesus. It's not my church, it's not anybody else's church, it's the Lord's church. We are privileged to be members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ. We read about the church of Christ in the Bible. The Bible tells us that Jesus established this church. Now Jesus said, I will build my church. It belongs to him, it is singular in nature. Think about it this way, Jesus is said to be the king of the kingdom, isn't he? Well, the Lord Jesus is the king over one kingdom. He's king over one church. He is the head of the church, as Paul points out in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, 
Colossians 1 verse 18. And then there's a second thing that I would stress. And that is that the kingdom or church was bought by the blood of Christ. Now we talk about the importance of the church. I think that the importance of the church is reflected in the fact that it cost Jesus his blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The church that we read about in the Bible cost Jesus his blood. How much did Jesus love the church? Well, Paul said in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus literally laid down his life for the church. He gave himself for the church. He loved it that much. And then in Revelation chapter one at verse five, John would say unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. And he's made us to be a kingdom and priest. So it is through Christ and in Christ that we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of his death. And his death appropriated for us what? The hope of salvation the promise of eternal life. And then there's a third thing that I would stress, and that is that the kingdom or church began on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 33. The church that we read about in the Bible is almost 2,000 years, years old. The church that we read about in the Bible began in the city of Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. When you look at the New Testament, and really you need to look at both the Old and New Testaments, you'll see that the prophecies that were given about the church and about the coming of the Messiah, they came to fruition. And what Isaiah was saying is that the church, this exalted mountain that he viewed, that he foretold of, would begin in Jerusalem. The gospel would be preached first in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to the apostles they would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost part of the earth. Now we talk about the church that began in the city of Jerusalem on Pentecost Day, A.D. 33. Sometimes individuals have difficulty understanding that the kingdom and church are one and the same. There are some people that have the idea that when Jesus came to earth that he failed in his mission. And in failing in his mission to establish the kingdom, we have what has been set up as the church age. Well, the Bible says the church and the kingdom are one and the same. As a matter of fact, when you look at the people in Colossae, you'll find that Paul is saying to the Colossians that they had been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Now, Paul wrote that in AD 62. And what Paul was saying is the kingdom is here. When John wrote, the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 9, he identified himself as a member of the kingdom. So, when did the kingdom come? First century? When was that? A.D. 33. There's a fourth thing that I would point out. And that is that the kingdom or church is not any kind of political organization. It's not a physical entity. Matter, matter, as a matter of fact, the kingdom or church as we know it is a spiritual institution. In John 18, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Jesus here underscoring the fact that the kingdom was not a physical, material kingdom or entity or institution. There were a lot of people in the first century, many of the Jews, they were looking for what? They were looking for an earthly monarchy. They were looking for a physical kingdom. And Jesus is saying to Pontius Pilate, look, my kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual institution. Now we talk about the church today. It is a spiritual institution. It's not defined by geographical boundaries. We live in a world that really is defined by geographical boundaries. We talk about certain continents and certain nations, certain kingdoms, if you please. Well, the kingdom of God is worldwide. The kingdom of God is not defined by, by geographical boundaries or anything like that. And I would also make this statement. We talk about the kingdom and the fact that it is not a political organization. It's not a physical entity. And we're living in a day and time when people are concerned about the direction of our nation. And there's a lot of concern about who we're going to elect as president of this country, and rightfully so. But please listen to me very carefully. If we want to change America, if we want to change this world, we're not going to do it necessarily by political movements. The only way that we can change this world for the better is through the gospel. We preach, we teach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Did you know that the gospel is the good news? We have the greatest news known to man. What's that news? Christ died for our sins, buried, raised again the third day. The promise of his coming. We have the opportunity to share that message with the lost and dying world. So we talk about, we talk about radically changing the world in which we live. We talk about changing the direction of our country. How do we do that? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. If we do that, what's going to happen? We're going to change the hearts and lives of people. When you change the hearts and lives of people, what happens? You change the direction of a country, of a nation, of a kingdom, of a world, if you please. And then there's a fifth thing. And that is that the kingdom or church is under the authoritative role, or rather rule, of King Jesus. Jesus Christ is said to be the King of kings and Lord of lords in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus Christ has all authority. Jesus, as the king, legislates his kingdom by what? By his word. Jesus Christ has left us his last will and testament. The Hebrew writer said he is the mediator of the new covenant. And so Jesus, having all authority, as he said in Matthew 28, 18, he has the right to legislate how we live, how we operate, what we do, what we say. Now, in Matthew chapter 17 at verse 5, when God the Father spoke from heaven when Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, here's what God said. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then he said, hear him. And I think really what he was saying is, here's who you need to listen to. Jesus Christ has all authority. So how does he legislate his kingdom today? Through his word, through his will, through the New Testament. And then a sixth thing, as we said earlier, the kingdom or church can only be entered 
by the new birth. We're not born into the kingdom of God, physically speaking. We are born into the kingdom of God through the new birth, a spiritual birth. And then number seven, the kingdom or church is the place where all of God's people reflect upon the death of Christ on the first day of the week through partaking of the Lord's Supper. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Jesus said he would not eat or drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God came. If the kingdom hasn't come, then we don't have a right to partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. In so doing, he told us that we are to eat of the bread to remember his body. We are to drink of the cup to remember the blood shed for us. How often are we to do that? Until he comes again, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. And then there's a final thing I would point out, and that is that the kingdom or church will be delivered up to the Father at the second coming of Christ. There are a lot of people that have the idea that when Jesus comes, that will usher in the commencement of the kingdom. When Jesus comes, that will not be the commencement of the kingdom. It will be the consummation of the kingdom here on earth. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when Jesus comes, he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father and put an end to all rule and all authority and power. What Jesus is saying is, or rather what Paul is saying is that when Jesus comes, the kingdom's gonna be delivered up to God the Father. So, all of this being said, let me ask this question today. Are you a member of the kingdom? Are you a member of the church? The greatest blessing known to man to be a member of the body of Christ. You know, we live in a day and time when people look at pros and cons. They, they think about benefits and blessings. And there are a lot of blessings associated with living in America. I can't think of a better place to live than the United States of America. I can't think of a better place to live than this community. But listen to me very carefully. All the blessings and favors that we enjoy in this life pale in comparison to being a child of God. You think about all of the blessings that are associated with being in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said that all spiritual blessings reside in Christ in Ephesians 1.3. Numbered among those blessings are redemption, forgiveness, the promise of prayer, the presence of God, all of these great blessings, and then top it off with the hope of heaven. At some point in time, known only to God, Jesus will come again. When Jesus comes, the only thing that's going to matter, were we a member of the body of Christ? Were we a part of the redeemed? If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I would beg and plead with you, come to Christ. Realize that Jesus paid the ultimate price for your sins. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is in the saving business. As a matter of fact, Paul said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
If you're here today and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, God will add you to the church. We're not going to vote you into the church. God will add you to the church. You'll be a part of the kingdom and you'll have the hope of life eternal. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful to the body. Maybe you're not faithful to the Lord. Why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who promises to abundantly pardon? Why not come home today as we stand and sing?